0: Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging.
1: Welcome to Our Hope a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. What is idolatry? The dictionary defines idolatry as the worship of idols or extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. In Abrahamic religions like Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, idolatry describes the worship of something or someone else other than the one true God. In today's episode, we will be exploring this question, is believing in Jesus idolatry? This is a common question within the Jewish community, and it discourages many from believing in Yeshua. So then, the next question we need to address is, who is Jesus? Some say he was just a good man, or that he was a wise teacher or even a prophet. But we who are believers in Yeshua call him the Son of God. So is Jesus God? To help us find answers to these widely debated questions, We have invited Fiona Sorbala, who is on staff with Chosen People Ministries in the UK. And now I introduce the host of Our Hope Podcast, Abe Vazquez.
0: Shalom and welcome to this episode of Our Hope. I'm so excited uh, to to be back in this season where we are talking uh, about some common Jewish objections. And uh, today in particular, we're going to be tackling this question of uh, is believing in Jesus idolatry? And and that's a question that is uh, commonly asked uh, in our ministry um, from the people that we reach, particularly uh, during this outreach that we do every summer called Shalom New York. And that is where I met this next guest, Fiona Sorbala, on one of these outreaches. She came all the way from the UK just to be on the streets of New York to share the gospel and to, to reach Jewish people in New York. Uh, so Fiona, welcome to Our Hope. I'm so glad that you are able to join us.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight.
0: So every first guest, if this is your first time on the show, you have to answer this question. What is your absolute favorite food?
2: Well, this year for Shavuot, I baked my very first cheesecake. Wow. And... It is a work and a half, (laughs) two and a half hours in the oven. Wow. Four hours to cool and an overnight in the fridge. So guess (laughs) what I had for breakfast the following day?
0: (laughs) Cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) Cheesecake. All that for cheese. That's awesome. but I'm sure it was delicious. Wow. Ooh, it was. <laughs> yeah. in uh, New York, we know all about cheesecake. We have our famous juniors cheesecake, which we've mentioned on this podcast before. Unapologetically, <laughs> we 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 love cheesecake here. So Fiona, uh, thanks again for being with us. And uh, before we jump in a little bit, um, I know that you were actually, you, you were a believer from very young, but you didn't really make the connection to being a Jewish believer until later in life. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Well, I had a strange experience when I was about, I guess, five years old. We were in Spain on holiday, and my mother put a finger on my chest and tapped me and said, you must never forget that you're Jewish. Now, my mom was Jewish, uh, Sephardic from Egypt. My dad's a Scot, not Jewish. And from the time that I can remember, I went to church on my own. Quite bizarre when my dad's a psychoanalyst and doesn't believe in God, And my mother's a Jewish woman who won't even talk about faith or God or her Jewishness other than that one occasion. Wow. My dad didn't know she was Jewish until after their wedding. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) She took him for um, Eros Shabbat dinner to her cousins. Wow. But um, when I understand what it meant to be born again, I was about 14, even though I'd gone to church all my life. Then I I find that quite confusing because for me, it felt like it was her death that meant we moved to Scotland. Hmm. It was that move that allowed me to understand being born again. And I felt like it was her life in exchange for mine. Hmm. And so that made meant my Jewishness was made me quite conflicted, even as a teenager. And it wasn't really until I was in my early 20s at Bible college, and I got involved in Jewish ministry as my college outreach, um, that I began to realize that there was a relationship between being Jewish and a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time I'd left Bible college, I ended up in London uh, in a Messianic congregation. And I can remember the battle I had. Everybody called Jesus Yeshua. And I literally metaphorically crossed my arms and said, there is no way I'm calling Jesus Yeshua. But you know what the Lord does? He has a funny way of inveigling into your heart and making the changes that you're not quite sure that you want. And one day when I was praying, kind of to my shock and surprise myself, praying in the name of Yeshua. (laughs) And I I thought, okay, Lord, I give up.
0: I give up already. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Um, I think this question that we're asking uh, or, or trying to answer was really appropriate for you to help us, um, because I'm sure you've heard a lot of questions on your on your street outreach in New York and, and in the UK. And so uh, we're just really excited to jump into this. So my first question for you um, in trying to answer this question is, what is the Jewish perspective of God and, and who He is?
2: I think fundamentally, um, Judaism represents itself as a religion that's committed to monotheism, that is the worship of the one true God. Hmm. And therefore, it's unlike any other world religion in its commitment to the the singularity of God. And we see it most clearly expressed in the Shema, the daily. It's almost like a confession of faith or a creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And um, Maimonides, the great uh, Jewish scholar, wrote, there's no unity like the unity of God. And what he meant is that God is indivisible. Mm. Therefore, God is a singularity. He's not a a triunity or a trinity. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about it is he can't be embodied, and therefore Mm. he can't be incarnate. And that sets uh, the backdrop for the way Judaism talks about God as Echad, God is one.
0: So in the Old Testament, we we read about God walking in the Garden of Eden and eating a meal with Abraham. So how did the Jewish people view this if God cannot become a man?
2: Well, this is an interesting one because what the general understanding is is that it wasn't God who physically walked in the garden Hmm. because he can't have a body. So what they say is that it was the word of God or the voice of God that is personified. Hmm. And um, even Rashi, another great scholar, declares that it is the word of God who walked in the garden. Of course, that amuses me. He's trying to show that God has no physical form and therefore cannot walk. But it's kind of prophetic because the Messiah in the opening of the Gospel of John is called the word of God. Great point. (laughs) And as for Abraham, well, the view is this, that all visitations, supernatural visitations, occur in the form of a vision or an open vision. And even if in the vision, God has a physical form, it's only in order to communicate a truth. However, the exception is that literal messengers or angels can appear and can be seen by the physical eye, and can be seen to have form and be located in time and space. But God cannot.
0: So in the Bible, idolatry, um, it, it's often in, it, it often involves physical idols, right? So typically when we think of idolatry, we think of like the golden calf. We think of um, objects that you can see in like quote unquote worship, and, and the Israelites were frequently warned not to worship these. Uh, so tell me about the Jewish perspective of idolatry today.
2: Well, I found a really interesting comment on a Jewish website recently that said, Zionism without faith in God becomes idolatrous. Hmm because the love of the land has replaced love for God. Interesting. And I really thought that was quite a profound statement. And then just recently, I was also on the My Jewish Learning website, and in one of their Torah portion studies, there was a challenge, and the challenge was this, to consider those things that hinder us from the mitzvot, or the commandments, or from doing social justice, this idea of preparing the world, tikkun olam. And the author of the article basically said that anything that hinders us from social justice or walking in God's Torah is idolatrous. And I like that thought, but they also said that the only way that the Torah is a reality is through Life lived out in keeping the Torah. And um, I just thought, you know, anything, and it's so similar to Christianity, anything that replaces the love of God or hinders us from following God is ultimately an idol or idolatrous.
0: Last question about the Jewish perspective on things. What, what do Jewish people say about the identity of Jesus?
2: He's generally accepted as um, both having lived as a historical figure. Um, and yet the mindset instilled by tradition is that he cannot be the Messiah. He's often seen as a good man. Um, There is an acknowledgement that he taught the Torah and he encouraged others to keep the Torah, the law of Moses, but that he was nonetheless just a man. He might even have been a prophet, but he was just a man.
0: On that question, uh, so how is it even possible for God to become a man? And what scriptural evidence can we show that the idea of God appearing in human form is both plausible and reasonable?
2: Well, here's the interesting thing. The Talmud is a living document open to reinterpretation and added to over the generations. So perhaps we need to have a conversation about which words do we believe, the words of historical rabbinic teachers or the words written in the Tanakh. And that, of course, leads me to going back and looking at What were the earliest interpretations of the Messiah? What were those opinions written by those who lived closest to the time when the the Torah, the law of Moses and the Tanakh was written? And when we come to this idea of can Adonai, can the Lord appear as a man, there is an idea in um, the rabbinic and in the. Jewish thinking that Torah is embodied in the life of the rabbi and in his teaching. And so in a sense is actually incarnated. And when we then look at um, the uh, things that the rabbis tell us, they and here's a lovely one, they tell us that there were seven things created or seven things that existed before the foundation the world before god created and one of them was the torah and another one was the name of the messiah and of course that beautifully fits in again with john's gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was god and torah doesn't just mean law it means the words of god the instructions and um i love challenging my my christian friends and saying in the beginning was the Yeshua, the Torah. <laughs> and But ultimately and fundamentally, what we're saying here is that if we go and look at Proverbs, we find that it teaches us that wisdom is personified. And this appears to be literal because if we were to read Proverbs 3.18, which reads, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And in 8... Verse 29, we read, He set the sea as its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command. And he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him as a master workman. Well, that means that the actual text in Proverb is saying that wisdom had a physical form. He was the master craftsman. And that this craftsman, was active participant in creation. I know Christians are not very keen on the intertestamental writings, but in Wisdom chapter nine, um, there is a beautiful statement that says that God made all things by his word and ordained man through wisdom and actually talks about wisdom again creating and the the wisdom being personified and literally having a form if we can if a jewish person is willing then to accept that then we can begin to discuss whether abraham had a vision of visitors or whether he actually saw god manifest himself in a physical form because if wisdom is the word is the word of god and the word of god is yeshua then we're seeing a a little chain of thought building up. And, you know, you only have to look at Genesis uh, chapter 32, because Jacob wrestles with the man and what he wants to achieve is blessing. And of course, many suggest that it was an angel, but Jacob's own testimony of the event is this, I have seen God face to face and lived. And, You know, it actually in the text where we read about Abraham, Abraham, we actually read in the text, the Lord appeared to Abraham, and yet what he saw were three men. Well, it all gets quite confusing, but I love the the encounter with with Gideon as well, because he meets the angel of the Lord, and what he sees is the angel of the Lord, but what he hears is the voice of the Lord. And now the angel of the Lord has the ability to speak because he's sitting under uh, the terebinth trees. And um, we also read that in that same passage, the angel of the Lord is sitting under the terebinth trees, but the Lord turned to Gideon. And then the next thing you read in the story is Gideon's again, his testimony is that he has seen the Lord and lived. Hmm and there are numerous other encounters in scripture where we have sometimes a slightly confusing picture but if you can follow that train of thought that in proverbs you have wisdom personified personified with a physical form and a physical activity and if you can accept that then perhaps you might be willing to sidestep the rabbinic idea and consider what the actual written text of the Torah, the the um, first five books of Moses, actually says. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say that um, he had a vision. It says, the Lord appeared. And I think that one of the things that when we're talking with Jewish people we want to encourage is to actually look at the text, right. not just rabbinic interpretations, but what does the, the Word of God Itself have to say.
1: We'll be right back. Shalom. My name is Nicole Vaca and I'm one of the co-producers of our Hope Podcast. We created our hope to be a window into the messianic community, a place where we can discuss Israel and the Bible, and a resource for people who want to share their faith more effectively and compassionately with the Jewish community. If you're interested in supporting what we do, you can donate to Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com donate. You can also support us by sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for your support, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode.
0: Just going back to Jacob wrestling with this mysterious man who we know is God. I mean, Jacob's name changes. And my question to you, who changed his name?
2: Oh well, that's a very good question. The only person that could have changed it is is the Lord God Himself, right. and that name chain becomes the name by which the Jewish people are known. Right, the people of Israel.
0: Exactly. And and what does Israel mean? What the meaning behind Israel in in this context?
2: Well, um, it, He said, "You will be called no longer called Jacob; you will be called Israel, because you have pre- you have prevailed with God."
0: Right. Right so it's interesting that some people would say he wrestled with an angel because God himself <laughs> named him that you know it, it's so, it's just so interesting that they would um not it, like you just said this it's there in the scriptures and and we can read it for ourselves and and really dive in um so yeah i i just find that all really fascinating thank you for breaking that down and and here's another question for you so what does the bible say about Yeshua, Jesus, when he was on earth? And how did he live as he dwelled among people?
2: You know, in biblical times, there was an expectation that the Messiah would be divine. And we see this reflected in the gospel's understanding of who Yeshua was. And they record his life and his teachings in great detail. And what we discover is that And what they they want to show us, particularly Matthew, is that Yeshua kept the Torah perfectly. Mm. And then they want to show us that Yeshua's life fulfills so many of the prophecies written in the Old Testament about who the Messiah would be and what he would do. And I love the details, even down to he'll come riding, uh, your king will come to you riding on a donkey in Zechariah. Mm. Not only is the place of his birth and the manner of his birth, um, the, the things that he would do, but even his kingship, humble and lowly riding on a donkey. And that's exactly what he does as he comes into Jerusalem just before his uh, death, and his uh, life that would be laid down for all humanity. They also reveal that he had unique gifts. He could heal sickness and disease. He had authority to cast out demons. And here's the one that really got him into trouble. He forgave sins.
0: Mm.
2: Now, the whole issue of forgiving sins in the Jewish context is only God forgives sins because only God has the right to judge the life of a man. Right, And it's what the, um, there was the healing of the paralytic. They bring him this paralyzed man and Yeshua doesn't lay hands on him. He doesn't pray for him. He says, get up and walk. Your <laughs> sins have been forgiven. Right. And then when he's accused of blasphemy, he responds, basically it's been done this way so that you would know that the son of man has the power to forgive sins and of course at that moment what he's doing is he's identifying himself with the son of man in Daniel chapter 7 and in Daniel chapter 7 we read about the son of man being presented before the ancient of days and then the son of man is given dominion and glory and told that all peoples and nations and languages would serve him and that his dominion would be everlasting and his kingdom would never be destroyed. And alongside that, in his teaching, Yeshua appropriates the, uh, a lot of the names and the titles belonging to God. Um, for example, I am the good shepherd. And he's taking on the, the, the name of God as the shepherd of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I could spend the next two hours going on about that, but I'd probably better draw a line at that point.
0: <laughs> well, I would like to start wrapping up, and, and I think I have um, an important question, and it's actually the title of this podcast. So Fiona, is believing in Jesus idolatry?
2: Clearly not, (laughs) if you follow the the train of thought. Yeshua uh, said that he and the Father are one, and that if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And I was asked to do a Bible study recently for our intercessors because there was confusion, even for these believers in Jesus, about whether you could pray to Jesus.
0: Mm.
2: And when you look through Scripture, you find that there were... Prayers addressed to him, he was asked to do things. Um, the Holy Spirit um, was at, is asked to do things in the New Testament. So I can't see how, if we believe that God is a unity and within that unity He has, there is a divine miracle that we can't with our human logic pull apart. That He is one and yet He has the capacity to reveal himself as three, my mind can't grasp it. I don't think the greatest theological minds can grasp it. Rav Shaul, who trained with Gamaliel, never tried to explain it. He simply said, it is. Mm. And I've got to the point where I stopped trying to explain it because I can't. Um, You know, I can talk about, you know, the sun is a physical planet, but we experience the sun through light and heat mm. and then what we can see which are flames as well as a physical planet so there you have this the planet of the sun able to manifest itself in fire heat and light so talk about water oxygen and um hydrogen uh, steam and ice i'm a daughter but i'm also a wife um and i'm a sister now because i'm human I can only be me, but because God is God, he has this capacity to allow those different aspects of who he is, be manifest and revealed at different times and in different physical spaces. Do I understand it? No, it is what it is.
0: So for someone listening who has heard this argument, um, the, the case you have just made, we've talked a lot about going back to scripture. What would you, where would, where would you point someone to start? Someone who still is maybe confused or doesn't agree with you, where would you encourage them to start in, in trying to answer this question for themselves?
2: Oh, well, that's a challenge. I think ultimately, if they're willing, one of the best things we can do is meet together, open the scripture together, ask them to read the scripture out loud, and give them space to answer the question what do you think the scripture is saying? before I even attempt to tell them. And also that gives space for the Holy Spirit. Because The scripture itself is a two edged sword. It's sharp, it's powerful, it divides bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And when we help someone to engage with the word of God, then we can create that space where the Holy Spirit will engage with the individual. But I do think that one of the best things that we can ask people to do is begin to look at the prophecies about the Messiah. One that you mentioned, Shalom Brooklyn, and one of the things that we do at Shalom Brooklyn, and I know is that, that uh, the, the ministry in New York does quite often, is put out on a desk the translation of Isaiah 53 in multiple language in Hebrew, russian english and any other one that we can find and we ask people to if they've got a moment to read it and tell us ask the question where is this passage found is it found in the the hebrew bible or the christian bible and who is it speaking about almost everybody will recognize in isaiah 53 the story of jesus and most jewish people will say oh that's talking about jesus and so where is it found oh that must be in the new testament right. and what we usually do is whip out a, a hebrew old testament <laughs> turn to isaiah 53 and go look it's in your bible it's in the hebrew bible right and that is really powerful when people actually have to acknowledge that what they've just said about isaiah 53 relating to jesus it's so obvious if we give people the opportunity to look and so I think we have to get scripture into a seeker's hand, Right. Uh, whether that's in the form of a tract, a booklet, uh, free literature, our famous book, Isaiah 53 Explained. But any way we can, we've got to get people, Jewish seekers, engaging with the word of God itself. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest, actually.
0: Fiona, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it, it was really incredible to have you uh, join us all the way from the UK. Um, And uh, I'm just really hoping that this episode can be an encouragement for those who may be struggling with this question. And maybe it can be an encouragement to believers who um, have heard this question from their Jewish friends or just anybody. But thank you for joining us and, and giving us your time.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Isaiah 53, 1-3 This is one of the many messianic prophecies written in the Tanakh, or Old Testament. The verse later describes how the Messiah bore our griefs and sorrows, that He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And this promise was fulfilled in the person of Yeshua, who is the Word of God, The promise of God made flesh. He lived his life on earth as a perfect, sinless man. God's ultimate sacrifice out of his great love for us. Wherever you are in your search for truth, we pray you will allow the Messiah to reveal himself to you. If you have further questions and wish to speak to someone, you can email us at info at chosenpeople.com or call one 888 2 Yeshua. That's 1-88-THE Number 2, Yeshua. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Chosen People Ministry staff member Fiona Sorbala. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and written and edited by Grace Sui. This episode was also brought to you by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Kyron Bautista, and Neil Saraski. I'm Abe Vasquez. Until next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. See you next time.